Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to John Dorwood, who's the CEO of Roxgold, a TSX-listed producer with assets in West Africa. They've got the Yaramoko mine, uh, which is producing at the moment. There, That's in uh, Burkina Faso. They've also got a new asset where they picked up last year from Newcrest for 20 million bucks. Uh, down in the Cote d'Ivoire, and that's called Seguela. Now, Seguela's released uh, its PEA uh, last month, I think it was. Some pretty impressive numbers there. Pretty impressive management team, seem to know what they're doing. Quite an interesting business model. We think they probably need to make a third acquisition at some point in the next 12 to 18 months to be of real significant interest to the marketplace. But enjoy the podcast. Hey, John, how you doing, sir? I'm very well. Yourself? You're not bad. It's been nearly a year since we spoke. I mean, we spoke last end of July, I think. Uh, so I guess lots to catch up on. Um, but before we do that, why don't we kick off with a one-minute overview of the business for people new to the story, and then we can pick it up from there. Sure. So it's been a, certainly been an eventful year since we spoke last. So at Roxgold, we're continuing to operate the, the high-grade Yaramoko underground gold mine at, uh, in Burkina Faso. And I think really the big change for us over the last 12 months has been the acquisition of the Seguela Gold project in Cote d'Ivoire. So we've really taken our first steps towards becoming a multi-mine, multi-jurisdiction gold producer in West Africa. Uh, it's been going really well for us. So we continue to, to generate strong, strong, steady cash flows from Yaramoko. We're starting to redeploy those into our growth opportunities. And the first cab off the rank for that growth opportunity is Seguela, and I'm sure we'll get into that. And then uh, the, the third string to our bow is a, is a recently announced discovery that we made at the southern end of the Hyundai Greenstone Belt in Burkina Faso, uh, the Basura project that we, uh, it's a homegrown discovery from Roxgold and is coming along and looking quite, uh, has, has a lot of potential. Great. Okay. So uh, th- thanks for the summary, John. I appreciate that. So, you, you know, you, you're obviously a West Africa um, explorer, uh, developer and, and producer um, and you know, I, you know, I, I think people who watch this show and read our stuff know that I quite like the model that you've employed. So, can we just kind of deal with the, you know, the the basics first? So, Yaramoko. So, again, just remind people what it was that you went into there because it was a very short life of mine, very high grade. So, you made a call there. So, can you just explain your thinking about why Yaramoko initially, and then we'll kind of let's say spill out into other areas. Absolutely. So, I love talking about Yaramoko. So. For, for a, a single asset project developer, Yaramoko probably is the perfect project to have. So Roxgold discovered the Yaramoko, the, the 55 zone, which is the flagship mine at Yaramoko, uh, discovered it in 2011. The first drill hole, discovery hole, hole 55, was drilled in 2011, and the project came into production with the first gold port in 2016. So five years from initial discovery to producing gold. And, and I think that speaks really to, you know, the three aspects. The, the first and foremost is that Burkina Faso is a very mining friendly jurisdiction. There are very few jurisdictions that you can build a mine or discover a mine and have it in production in five years. And that's, you know, whether you're in Western Australia, in Ontario, Nevada, wherever you might be, you generally can't do it in five years. So that's a, a, a tick for the, the permitting and the jurisdiction. I think the technical uh, simplicity of the project. I mean, it was a, it is a half ounce deposit. Uh, so it's very high grade. 
It's got excellent metallurgy. We, we recover between 98 and 99% of the gold. So, you know, no nasties in the, uh, in the metallurgy. Uh, very straightforward. It's high grade. It's in very competent rock, host rock using granite. So it's uh, got great ground conditions. So there were no sort of nasties or, or difficult aspects to the project that had to be managed. And then I think the third aspect was really the team that we had to uh, were able to bring to bear on the project. So and that was led by Paul Criddle, our chief operating officer. Paul's got a wealth of experience building projects in West Africa. He and I uh, were involved in the, uh, the building of the Sabadala Gold Project in Senegal. Uh, so, so we know the space well, we know that patch, and I think we're able to bring together a group of people that were able to deliver the project on time and, and on budget. So those three aspects really go to, to really uh, the, the strong foundations. And, and then ever since we started production, which was in the middle of 2016, Yaramoko has been a great performer. It's really shot the lights out of every assumption and every metric we had in our feasibility study. And I think to your earlier point about the mine life, we do get a lot of pushback on that and people for some reason have established in their minds, rightly or wrongly, mostly wrongly, that it is a short life operation. When we came into production and we did the feasibility study in 2014, it had 750,000 ounces in the mine plant, a little over about seven and a half year mine life. We've now been going for five years and we still have a seven plus year mine life in front of us. So like, a, uh, like most good underground gold mines, what you see on paper in terms of mine life is very much not what you get in reality. So we think that the uh, the beat goes on at the 55 yeah. zone and also the satellite deposit of Bagasy South. That kind of works both ways. You know, what you see is not, is, is not necessarily what you get. You know, and it swings and roundabouts in the mining game. So people do have to kind of, you know, get an understanding of what the risks are. And I, I'm always intrigued understanding where the management's head's at. Because when you started that, it was a kind of low gold environment, not, not obviously the heady near 700, um, 1700 bucks uh, an ounce uh, where we are today, it was much lower than that. If I look at your ASIC today, you're, you're over a thousand bucks. So um, you, you're kind of benefiting from a few things. One, high grade, which kind of covers, covers a multitude of sins uh, and, a, and a you know high uh, gold price in, in the market. But that wasn't the case when you started off. So just sort of understanding your risk uh, profile your risk preference. It was a seven-year life of mine. You have extended that. You, as a you know, a mining person, would expect or would hope to be able to do that, but it doesn't doesn't necessarily always work out. So you've you've done well with that project. You've still got a seven-year life of mine. You're still producing high grade. I think what eight point seven grams average. Is that right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So all good. You, you've, uh, you're, you're throwing off money there now. Um, what, are, what are you looking at? Because I saw your course leads. What are you aiming to do? Are you going to be able to reduce that ASIC further? Can you get below the thousand bucks mark? What are the other numbers that you think you're, you're driving towards lowering and improving on that asset? So we released uh, three-year guidance at the start of this year. And, uh, and this year, the, the oil sustaining for us is a little higher than it's traditionally been. We're looking around the mid-900s. So we believe we'll be below a thousand. And that's largely because we're pushing the decline at Bagasy South and 55 zone concurrently. So we're pushing two ramps, we're doing waste development on two underground mines. Hence our sustaining capital bill is higher in the first half of this year. So we expect that will trend down in the second half. And then in our cost guidance that we gave for 2021 and 2022, we're back in the mid 700 range, which is where we've typically been so far. So as with all underground gold mines, generally you do your work in front, it's in front of you, you do your underground development, you push a decline. 
So for us, there's always the, the end of the mine life, whenever that will be, there's always we basically retreat out from a, a pre-developed mine. So we still think that life of mine, our loan sustaining cost probably has a seven in front of it. So it is a genuinely low cost mine. So notwithstanding the gold price has gone up significantly, we've actually maintained what we've uh, indicated would be the life of mine only sustaining costs that we showed in the feasibility study back in 2014, albeit in year five today, we would have been in retreat had we stuck to the original mining plan. So we wouldn't be pushing the ramp. We're already quite a ways below where we would have been at the terminal depth of the mine back in 2014 when we published that first study. So we've had to keep the spend up to it, but then the mine life, as we've mentioned, has obviously continued for much longer. So the absolute cash flow and you know life of mine costs will still be extremely low and the cash flow will be very high. So I think it's, it's an all around a great success story. Uh, I find that we do have to spend a little bit of time explaining that to people because it's not necessarily intuitive, but, it's, uh, but it is, I think, when you, when you dig into the numbers, you can see that that investment is still going on in the, in the, in the project. So, I mean, which is, which is great. So you're, you're going, you hope to be able to kind of drive the, the figures back down to, you know, what, what you hope around that the set, it's got a seven handle on it. What are the other kind of key learnings with the, this high grade mining that you're, you're discovering at Yaramoko? Because obviously you've got these kind of satellite opportunities as well and you, you've got some, got some drivers there. Are you going to be able to kind of do some shortcuts in terms of future growth, because I mean, you, you, you talked about Basuru uh, in the south, on I think it's on the border. Um, is it a similar? Is it a similar sort of profile down there? Are you going to be able to apply these, these same learnings? Oh, look, I think so for sure. So I think you know one of the big learnings we've had at Yaramoko on the geological front is that if I was sitting here talking to you five years ago, we would have said that the the distribution of grade throughout Yaramoko in the 55 zone in particular was quite homogenous for a, a high grade coarse gold system. But the, we, we thought at the time that the, the gold was relatively uniform in its distribution. I think having mined it now for five years and done a ton more drilling and a lot of grade control, we would say that there are certainly more discrete high grade zones. And that's a feature of the geology. I won't bore everyone to, to death on that. but. There are a series of sort of low angle cross-cutting structures that cut across the main 55 zone, and they are inimical to the high grade that we see. So as we see on echelon stepping down through the deposit down plunge, you see these high grade zones, and then you see, you know, what relative basis is lower grade, but still, you know, the four, five, six gram material, it's not the 15 gram material that you see in these high, these high, high gold zones. So what we're looking at now, and that's informing our drilling program coming up for the second half of this year, is that we will we will target these high grade where we think these high grade zones will be, and we think that we'll be able to increase our hit rate of high grade results, and and sort of start seeing those that sort of 15 gram material come back in, uh, in with more regularity. With respect to Basara, uh, it's very early days. So so we announced the discovery in January. Um, at the point we did have about 40 holes into it. So it wasn't sort of a, a you know, a geochem anomaly or a trenching or a, a, a rab hole. It was a genuine discovery and it was significantly well drilled out. So it's, you know, it's got some very much similar hallmarks, similar setting to, to Yaramoko, but it is a series of veins. So we've drilled out two of those at the moment, uh, for four and Galgooli. And there's a number of uh, some artisanal workings that indicate that these are sort of there are you know parallel structures that we're going to be testing in the second half of this year. So so whilst it's 
geologically has its similarities to the 55 zone. It's, it's, it occupies a lot more real estate. Mm. So it does have the potential to be a lot bigger, but probably over multiple structures as opposed to the, the two main structures that we have at Yaramoko being 55 and Bagasy South. Okay. To that. Now, we would make, we'll find some more get the track. Okay, so let's let's look going forward because I couldn't help notice the the forecast for uh, 21-22 was lower than the last couple of years. In fact, it's sort of you know 2017 type levels. Is that just you being uh, cautious uh, about what you've got at Yaramoko because it's getting harder harder to work that, or have you just not included any of these new new discoveries or satellites? So, so it's really just a mechanical output. So, so the in the next few months, we finish the, the ramp, the decline development at Bagasy South. So we actually mine Bagasy South out for about the next four years, but it doesn't it doesn't get any deeper under the current mine plan. So the ramp has moved forward. So as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're currently chewing our way through having two ramps being pushed at 55 and Bagasy. That's uh, double the capital, double the sustaining capital as that to our usual run rate that we saw, say, in 2017, 2018. So sort of the tail end of 19 and first half of 2020 were large capital spends for us. But when we get into the second half of this year, we're just back to a single heading at 55 zones. So one of those jumbo crews gets turned off. So that's why we, we see and anticipate us getting back to those sort of that mid 700 level. So it's actually a very understandable reason for it. It's just that, you know, there's double the work being done. Yeah. Um, but, but that's why you see in 2021, 22, it revert to that mid 700s. Yeah. Okay. And and what about because you're necessarily obviously your net cash position versus your free cash flow position, huge delta there. That's because of the investment being required in 2019, 2020. Um, when do you expect a return to some kind of normalcy in terms of the free cash flow? So I mean, we've got the job in front of us with building Seguela. So that's the, that's the first thing. So I mean, it's a good point that that free cash has enabled us to go out and pay cash for the asset. At, uh, that we, we acquired from Newcrest down in Cote d'Ivoire, which is Seguela. So we paid $20 million in cash and we funded the exploration program. We funded the development of Bagasy South from our own balance sheet as well. So we have reinvested strongly in our own business and we've done a lot of exploration as the uh, results from Yaramoko and Seguela would, I think, would point to. So, so yes, we have been investing in the business. Um, over the course, we anticipate being in a position to commence um, the construction of Seguela at the start of next year uh, with a 12-month build. And I think this is, and this is probably a key point for us, is one we like to really sort of, to, to ensure that our investors understand is that we are on the cusp of doubling our production, doubling our cash flow, our reserves and resources, and we don't, we don't plan to, to issue a single share. So we have less shares on issue today than we had five years ago because we've bought shares back. We've increased the size of our business at Yaramoko. We've acquired a new business and we will put that into production using cash on our balance sheet. We've got about $50 million in cash as we speak. We've got cash flow from Yaramoko and then we'll look to enhance our debt position from our, you know, from our probably our existing banking arrangements and, and deliver a brand new project that will, will have higher production rates than Yaramoko and probably have a longer mine life and generate more cash than Yaramoko does without issuing any shares. And I think that's important because we have 371 million shares on issue today. 
we'll go to producing north of 250,000 houses a year and we'll still have 371 million shares on issue. Okay, I think, I, think, that, I think that answers the question. When I, could, I need maths at school, that should be positive. It should be, it should be. Um, but you, you know what I'm getting at, because you know, when we spoke about 11 months ago, share price was you know, uh, $1.11, it's one thirty four now. It's a bit of movement. You've had a big dip in between, as has, as have most people. But I just wondered how you were handling the production trap, which is you're always having to put your free cash flow back in the ground, and in which case you're never kind of creating wealth. You're just reinvesting and reinvesting to the point where... You know, you can't you can't issue dividends. You can't, you know, pay you know pay for meaningful growth, which has meaningful appreciation to the share price. But I I think you answered that um, pretty well. Um, okay, so let, let, let's talk about. You said earlier um, that Burkina Faso is a very easy country to do business in. You know, um, getting getting into production in five years, fantastic task. Got to talk about a topic which has been uh, much discussed in the marketplace, which is. Uh, security. Okay, so been a number of incidents all across the the, the country. Um, lots of you know Reuters, BBC, everyone covering this story. It's affected you know six hundred thousand people in terms of displacing them. There have been a lot of shootings and deaths, and obviously it's the the unfortunate incident at Semifo last year. It's clearly not affecting your ability to produce. So what are you seeing? What can you tell us as a gold producer in the country as to What's what's happening on the ground? Look, I think it it is a, it has been a challenging few years for Burkina Faso. Uh, there's no question about that. And obviously, the, the the tragic events at the Bongu or near the Bongu mine last year were were chilling and, and quite shocking in their scale. So I think it's it, it, it's a something that we do confront. We get that question a lot. Uh, look, I think as far as Burkina Faso is concerned, it was really challenged uh, a few years ago quite significantly and it was looking to to combat the issue on its own it uh, it hadn't it hadn't joined for whatever reason the sort of the regional effort along with mali niger togo and benin uh in that regional effort um and that border area that tri-border area where you have mali niger and burkina faso all sort of coming together was a was a difficult place to manage as the sort of the jihadists would sort of melt across the border and, and it was very difficult to, to intercept or react to their attacks. I think as we've gone forward over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, the Kingdom has become a lot more enmeshed with that, uh, that, organ, that sort of regional grouping. So they're now part of the Group 5. It was the Group 4 previously. So they're now part of that. The French military have, have increased their role. Um, so you do now even see missions being flown by the French Air Force from their military base in Chad across to uh, Burkina, and that's had, uh, I think, some significant impacts. So I think the, the ability for Burkina Faso to react and interdict potential attacks and respond to attacks has, has, has increased quite a lot. Um, and, you know, it's still become, there still is a bit of a story, a ge- geographical story, that not all Burkina Faso is equal in terms of its security outlook. It's not to make light of it. It, it is still a challenge. But if you are in those border regions to the north and, and to the east, um, it, it is more problematic. Um, so we've not had any security issues ourselves, um, but we've you know enhanced our security. Uh, I, I don't like to go into it into too much detail for obvious reasons, but uh, we've certainly increased our our level of security preparedness over recent years, as, as, as would be expected. So. It, it still remains a challenging situation, but one that we believe we can manage. The you know the government of Burkina and the people of Burkina are determined to maintain their sovereignty and 
to, to, to resist this, uh, this scourge. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's, I think it's slight glimmers of hope and on, at some level that have emerged in recent years. Are you having to spend much more money on your security? Has it impacted, I mean, has it impacted yes, you financially? Yes, no, we do. Look, I mean, we spend more money. We definitely spend more on, on security than we were. It's not, you know, in the great scheme of things, it's not a significant cost item compared to uh, the, the big the big items, such as our mining contractor or fuel or whatever. But it's still, you know, obviously, it's, it is a pressure on our cost structure, but we've been able to make compensatory savings elsewhere, you know, in terms of, you know, nationalising our workforce. We've had a lot of, put a lot of wins on the board with that, you know, sort of removing expatriates in our structure, which is good financially, but be sort of good for our social licence to operate as we pass more of those responsibilities for operating the gold mine onto uh, Birkenabins. Okay, so let's finish on a high. Uh, it hasn't affected your ability to produce. It's not impacted your ability to produce. Um, so that's good. Um, I noticed you're spending like almost a couple of million bucks on the kind of ESG component lo locally, you know, in terms of what you're giving back to the community, which is significant. Um, and that, that has got to help as, as well in terms of your standing in the community as well as hiring locally as well. So um, all good. Appreciate it. Can we talk about Seguela? Because that's really, the, I think, where the, the, the juice is. Um, so you, just again, remind people how you picked that up. So this was an asset, it's a project that was owned by Newcrest, Australia's Newcrest third largest gold mining company in the world, You're familiar to many of your uh, of your viewers. Um, and they had been in Cote d'Ivoire for some time. They'd uh, inherited their Bonacro gold mine in Cote d'Ivoire when they acquired Lahia uh, gold mining back probably, I guess, early 2000s, my memory serves me correctly. Um, so so they'd been in, they'd been in Cote d'Ivoire for a long time. They'd had a very large land position in Cote d'Ivoire, and they'd actually done a, a joint venture farming deal with a, with an ASX-listed junior uh, back 2000, and I guess probably going to say about 2013, 2014, around the Seguela area, and subsequently made the discovery of the antenna deposit in 2016. And this was a project that we'd been watching for some time, so we, we, we chat to our counterparts at, at Newcrest at the various conferences, and we just kept bugging them about what their plans were for this project because it always looked, even from the relatively early days, that it was probably going to be a little on the small side for a company that needs to sort of see 5 million plus ounces to make a go of it um, in, in a jurisdiction where they're actually winding down their operations as they sold the Bonacro mine in 2016, 2016 So we felt that there was a a better than even chance that this would be could be jarred loose and uh, we kept harassing them in, in a polite fashion um, trying to sort of make sure that our interest was registered and that, that we would be a you know a good owner and a good home for these tests maintain you know maintain the high standards that newcrest had established so eventually they uh, they did relent and they agreed to sell it to us so they sold it to us for 20 million dollars we closed on it in april last year so i've owned it for just over 12 months uh, and there's a further $10 million to pay uh, upon production. So I think for, for Newcrest, it was a very clean exit with some upside for a project that they decided probably didn't have that, you know, extreme multi-million ounce potential that they were looking for. But for us, it was really the perfect project, the perfect project, the perfect size, and the perfect uh, for the perfect sort of time. So we took it on. It had just over 400,000 ounces of inferred resources, but we saw a lot more potential. 
So we announced this to, to great fanfare and you know, it was met with, to be honest, a bit of a collective yawn, which was a little disappointing, but I'm starting to get used to it as I get a bit older. And, and we still maintained that this really had a lot of potential. And, and, and I think we've been able to start to show that. I think we're still very much in the early innings of what Seguela will be. But we've taken it in 12 months, we've taken it from 400,000 ounces of inferred to over a million ounces, uh, and the majority of which is in the indicated category. We've completed the drill out campaign. So I think we are definitely looking at a mine plan that will have over a million ounces in it at the moment, and it's still getting bigger. And we published a preliminary economic assessment uh, about a month ago that really showcase what that project looks like. And, and for, what, for a project that costs $20 million, I think it's already starting to return uh, you know, many multiples of that. It had a, an MPV of over $250 million at $1,450 gold. So it's a really nice project, very similar. It's, effectively, we think, it's, we think of it as the open pit equivalent of Yaramoko, uh, very high NPV to pre-production capital, high IRR, low cost. And, and as I said earlier, it's a project that we can manage on our balance sheet as we currently stand. We will not issue, we will not need to issue any shares to build the project uh, and being able to do that with the cash flow from Yaramoko. So we think it's you know got a lot of potential to be very impactful for us. Absolutely. And I think it's going to get bigger. And I think it's actually going to be a project that will be have a significant resource base in time. Well, I guess this is this is what people are looking for because again, you're just showing people your risk profiles that you're you're happy with. So, that, no wonder people yawned with four hundred thousand ounces because it just that you know didn't have that million ounce thing which people look for. Okay, but again, you you saw something, the ability to do something. That's possibly because you inherited a lot of data, didn't you? So you knew a lot before you kind of walked in here. Okay. So the PEA was, I guess, relatively quick and easy to get put into place. So can you just, just give us some of the highlights of the PEA? Because it's, it's the first sort of economic uh, assessment of, of the asset. So what do you know? Sure. So, so basically, eight-year mine life, just over 100,000 ounces average production annually for eight years for just over 800,000 ounces in the mine plant. It is weighted towards the first three and a half years, and I'll talk a little bit about that because there's a turbocharger attached to the project called the Ancient Deposit, and I'll talk about why that's important in a moment. But but in terms of the project, and very much a snapshot at the time, it's capex pre-production capex is 140 million dollars. As I mentioned, the MPV is about 260 million dollars at 1450 dollar gold. It's uh, cash costs. You know, it'll be lowest, low, lowest quartile, bottom quartile, cash and only sustaining costs around $600 mark. So it's it's got everything you like to see. Uh, it's high grade. So it's, uh, you know, life of mine is about 2.4 grams per tonne, mill feed, low strip. But what's interesting is that the first two and a half years or first three years of production average is about 143,000 ounces per year. And that's largely driven by Anxian because Anxian is a six gram open pit. Uh, it's a it's a discovery, and this really speaks to the potential of the project. That Newcrest had only had the chance to drill one hole into Ancient, and they never had they didn't follow it up. So we were able to start drilling that. We started drilling in August last year, and we put two hundred and sixty thousand ounces on the books at six grams within an oak, within a pit shell. Uh, we've subsequently done some drilling, infill drilling, which has gone really well, and we've actually extended the mineralisation laterally in the depth. So we think it's going it's definitely going to get bigger. And we've seen some really high grades. We put out some results uh, a couple of weeks ago that included 10 metres at 60 grams. So really genuinely super high grade deposit. 
it's getting bigger and what the job for us and what we want to be able to do and we think we can do this for the feasibility study which is scheduled for the early next year so the you know basically we're looking around six seven months time is is show that contribution from ancient instead of being three and a half years to sort of make it six seven eight years and if we can do that and have production at sort of 140 to 150,000 ounces for six to seven years and then having the satellites come in at the end then the, the, obviously the impact on the economics is going to be dramatic. So that's what we see, and that's why we love this project. And that's why we think it's going to ultimately prove, it's, I, I think, fortunately or unfortunately, it's probably going to be the best acquisition I'll make in my career. Hopefully not, but it's certainly shaping up that way. Well, we'll, we'll come on to that. Um, given you know so much about it, given you've got you know, your position because of... Um, because of your Mocha is, is quite good in terms of your, your cash flows, et cetera. Are you going to be able to accelerate this somewhat? Are you just going to go, we'll do the feasibility study, forget the definitive, we know what we're doing here, and get this thing into production sooner than you perhaps would if you followed a normal course or normal process to get funding in place? Yeah, look, I think that, that's for sure. I mean, one of the, I mean, we were able to to bring Yamoka into production in five years, and one of the, the longer dated items was getting the project finance lined up. Um, we had uh, an infamous uh, bank, who I um, I won't mention, but it sort of has credit in Swiss in it, and they uh, they bottled on us at the eleventh hour and and pulled their uh, their funding off us, so we had to scramble the jets. Uh, so that was a little stressful, uh, but anyway. I'm getting over that slowly. Um, <laughs> yeah, we won't have clearly, to do that because clearly, we are John. coming at it from being a producer with a good balance sheet and good cash flow. <laughs> That's right. And uh, I, I used to have a beautiful head of hair, but uh, that, that cost it that, uh, that Christmas. So, so I think that 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 definitely makes life easier. We uh, we have started the permitting process already, so we're in the in the process there. We've been doing our uh, you know you know um, community consultation, and that's in good shape. So we're actually angling to have the permit issued, or hoping to have the permit issued by the end of this year, which will enable us to start doing some early works, possibly by the end of the year. Feasibility study in Q1, uh, hopefully is largely a formality because you know we like, we've done a lot of that work already, and then building it and having this come into production in the first quarter of 2022. So it's coming down the pipe. There you go, quarter one, 2022 in production. That's what I wanted to know. That's exciting, especially with 143 ounces per annum. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm loving that. That, that, as you say, could be one of, the, well, it could be even better than uh, Mike. great. It should throw off a lot of cash. If you're hitting around, you know, the 600 mark, beautiful. Um, what next? Because of the topic we discussed earlier in terms of, re, you know, regional risk and security and all of that kind of good stuff. Obviously, Cote d'Ivoire is a different animal. Um, different different jurisdiction, but um, so we hope nothing happens there. But what are you doing now in terms of mitigating risk? Are you looking elsewhere, or do you need to get this thing in production before you start looking around? No, no, we're we're, we're definitely always having a uh, keen to have a look at things. I mean, we I would love to be in a position where we had a portfolio of development projects that were willing to, that we were prepared to sort of unfold as as one came into production. So if we could have a a third cab off the rank to go into production or go into construction after Seguela, that would be perfect for us. I, I don't think it's Basura because I think the timeline might be a little longer to drill that out, but that could end up being you know, project number four if, if everything goes well. So we would definitely, and we definitely have an eye to looking because we, we see ourselves as, 
really, you know, we fundamentally believe that there's probably three main ways to create value for our shareholders. And that is to, to find, you know, find an asset, to build an asset or turn one around. And, and turning, we don't see ourselves as turnaround experts. That, that's probably a little too difficult for us. So we're either looking to find it, which is very difficult. Uh, the numbers would suggest that, you know, not a lot of exploration companies succeed, but it can happen. And, and the other one is to maybe find an asset that's been found already uh, and needs to take the needs the capital and the team to bring it into production and we can add value that way. So that's really the sweet spot for us. We think that we can look in a, we can, our snack bracket is probably still smaller than a lot of our larger competitors. So on the, from a competitive framework, we like that look. We like West Africa, um, but we're not adverse to looking in other jurisdictions. I think that's, that's, that's still, we have an open mind to that. And you know, with respect, we'd still probably like to, you know, diversify our cash flow and our investments away. So, you know, Burkina Faso is still returning capital, still repaying its initial investment. We're now deploying capital into Cote d'Ivoire and we're starting to look, you know, maybe for that third jurisdiction as well. And we obviously know you've described the sorts of um, companies and assets that you would would look at because it's quite clear from uh, Yaramoko and also... Uh, Sequela, what you like, what you, where you think there's value to be had. So, so that's interesting. Um, let me ask, what did you make of Endeavour's move with Semifo? Look, I mean, I think you know, for I think Endeavour's intentions to become a large regional consolidation consolidator and become you know emerge as the leading West African gold producer are, are pretty well telegraphed. So, you know, whilst I, you know, I didn't have any particular insights and, and didn't expect it or otherwise, it sort of made sense to me at the end. I think. You know they're becoming they're building a collection of very attractive assets there with uh, with a couple of the mines that they already have and the Bongu mine when it gets up and running running again is certainly a high quality asset so I, I think you know nothing much surprises me anymore so uh, and that certainly didn't. Do you think uh, I mean obviously Semifo obviously we talked earlier about the incident uh, terrorist incident with them their share price dropped off a cliff they've they've taken since November to now to sort of get somewhere near where they were. I mean, that's been a tough, tough road for them in a high gold environment. Do you think that that was a welcome uh, uh, conversation by Semifo? Have they just had enough of the area? Are they struggling? Uh, look, I couldn't, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't really begin to, to sort of get into the mind of, of the guys here. I know Benoit and Martin reasonably well, and I think it's noteworthy that they're continuing on with senior roles at Endeavour. So sort of looks from the evidence that they've still got plenty of appetite to uh, keep doing business in West Africa and Burkina in particular. So, I mean, I, I can't speak to their mind, but you know, on the evidence, it would suggest that they're still in it for the long haul. All good. Are you still buying in the open market? I have, yes. Um, bought, some, bought some at the end of last year. The, um, it's difficult. We always seem to be blacked out because we have so many exciting drill results from uh, Seguela coming through. So... Unfortunately, uh, my CFO tells me that I can't buy when I might like to buy. So, right, poor you, poor you. So I'd definitely like to own some more. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, look, John, look, th- thanks for giving us a run through. I mean, I can't believe it's been sort of eleven months. Um, you know, enjoyed the conversations we had last year. It seems like things are moving along. There's a kind of robustness to your process, which which we quite like. Um, I think that. Um, people are starting to look at you again, and um, you know, I think the PEA on Seguela is obviously very, very encouraging indeed. Um, 
not to mention the anti-dilutory stance you seem to have. So um, all, all good stuff. I mean, stay in touch. Do pick up the phone um, if there is so much news and let us know what's going on because it's always a delight to talk to you. Sure. And maybe the next time we talk, we can be doing it in person. Let's hope so. Health, uh, Let's hope global so. pandemics allowing. Yes. <laughs> good on you, mate. Nice okay. to talk. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.